0: If you brought a copy of scripture with you this morning, you can find 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 as we continue in our series, which is uh, Living in the Light of His Return, the second, the sequel that is to 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, and this epic second chapter. The title of the message is Satan Off His Chain, so I made particular notice to make sure I ask God to protect me this morning, pray that you would do the same because we are going to infringe upon his kingdom. The Bible tells us when you come to know Jesus, you're translated from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. Have you ever read that? Two kingdoms. You're in one of them right now. The first time... I ever looked up a Bible reference in my entire life. I was about 20 years old. My wife and I had just attended a horror movie about the Antichrist, and so I—I I mean, it just—it just gave me the woolies. It scared, you know. What do they say? The bejesus out of you. I don't even know what bejesus means. But I—I I went home and I found a Bible, and I because in the movie they referenced Revelation 13:18. And so I, this is the very first verse I ever looked up. Here it is. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of man. And his number is 666. And that began a a fascination in me uh, about the future. Unbeknownst to me. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God puts that in everyone. He has set eternity in our hearts. Have you ever read that? So that's the reason why everybody naturally wants to know about the future. And I just began to look into it. I really began a 40-year study of prophecy on enough. And this particular passage we're in has intrigued me as much as any prophetic passage I have ever studied. Here it is. Chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Now, concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, this is a reference to the rapture, which we preached on in 1 Thessalonians 4. We ask you, brothers, not to be quickly taken uh, or shaken in mind, literally shaken out of your mind, the Greek says, or alarmed by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that that day of the Lord has come. So there's the problem here. Uh, John Nimmers preached on this a few weeks ago. Somebody had forged a letter, put Paul's name on it, said the rapture had already occurred. You're done. They're, they're, they're freaked out over They're freaking out over this. And now the substance of the, of the text we're in today. Let no one deceive you in any way. For that day will not come unless the rebellion keyword comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction, the son of loss, who opposes and exalts himself against every so called God or object of worship, so that he takes his seat in the temple of God, watch it, proclaiming himself to be. God, Do you not remember when I was, I was still with you, I told you of these things? I mean, this is like the 18th time, not really, but several times Paul has said, don't you remember I talked to you about this? This is this young church that had only, he'd only hung with for about a month, and he spent a great deal of time talking about prophecy. Oh, I wish I could have been there. Verse 6. And you know what is restraining him, that is restraining that that lawless one, that that son of perdition, that Antichrist. You know what's restraining him now so that he may be revealed. By the way, the word revealed is where we get our word revelation, apocalypsis. Why do I tell you that? Because the Antichrist is going to have his own revelation. That's why. In his time, verse 7, for the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Key statement here for the here and now. For only he who now restrains it, that is the lawlessness, will do so until he's taken out of the way. And the lawless one will be revealed whom the Lord Jesus, watch this, will kill with the breath of his mouth and bring to nothing by the appearance of his coming. Hallelujah! Hallelujah! The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan and watch it with all power, false signs, and miraculous wonders. And with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, watch why, because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. Therefore, the antecedent to therefore is these that didn't love the truth. God sends them... uh, a strong delusion so they may believe what is false. Some of your Bibles say a lie in order that all may be condemned. Who? Those who didn't believe the truth, didn't love the truth, and had pleasure in unrighteousness. God help me. God help me. Do you think about what you just heard, read? Read. The next time you think about Jesus coming again, because he is coming again, and this is what it's going to unleash off the chain. My study has led me to believe that Jesus is going to come before the great tribulation and the unveiling of the false Messiah referred to here. The Antichrist. With other theologies, particularly covenant theology and subsequent the subsequent downplay of the return of Jesus, along with allegorical interpretations of the text and prophecy, which I just just weirds me out. I asked Warren Wearsby at lunch one day when he was still alive, obviously. We had lunch. And I talked to him about this. I said, What do you do about the resurgence of these theologies that are downplaying the return of Christ and all that's gonna happen? He said, He looked, he was, like, mean, it was like between bites. He looked up and goes, Stop worrying about it, Pat. It's not true. The truth is here, it'll come back. I just remember thinking, he's not worried about it. I'm not either. Let's be clear. I respect the differing positions on Jesus' return. I really do. I really do. I'm not just saying that, but I don't agree with them. This section introduces us to a le- legitimate debates over when Jesus is coming. What it, what is the rebellion referred to in verse four? Who or what is the restrainer? That's a big one, verse seven. And what is the false or the lie that people are going to be going to believe? Now listen carefully. Listen. Are you listening? My concern is that we get so caught up with the answers to those questions, we miss the purpose of prophecy, which is to alert us, to sober us, and for some of you, to save you from your sins and unto a life of holiness. Because, And now, little children, it has not been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when he is revealed, we will be like him, we'll see him as he is, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. The Thessalonians were literally, the Greek says, shaken out of their brains over the fear that they'd missed out on the day of the Lord, and then you know all this Antichrist stuff. And so he says, not so, and what I want to do For our time is in the light of the the coming of the Antichrist. Because he's coming. This is true prophecy here. The coming of the Antichrist should compel us. I'm going to give you three things that should compel us to this morning. And the first is to preach the gospel. Again, the very first verse, not to re John's message, but he alluded to it, uh, uh, concerning the coming of the Lord Jesus and our being gathered together to him. What a day that's going to be, okay? And the day of the Lord, he's, he's saying here, cannot begin until there is a rebellion. Did you see that there? There it is in the text in verse 3. Now, uh, this is this is the word. The Greek word for rebellion is where we get our word apostasy. Okay, that, that it's almost a transliterated word. And here's the problem: the word apostasy has total negative, uh, you know, connotations, doesn't it? But the word is not doesn't really have a moral context to it all. So the word means to cause a revolt, to depart. It could just mean departure, and that's why some people argue. That this could actually be another reference to the rapture when the departure of God's people. I, 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 I lean that way, but not necessarily, I get it. There's a good argument here. The verb form of this word rebellion means to literally means to remove spatially. So you're taken from one space to another. Okay, so there you go. But by far, the consensus amongst exegetes is that the word rebellion means what you think it means. It means departure, but departure from the faith. And God knows there's a bunch of that going on, amen? But here's what I'm going to tell you this morning. It's more subtle than you think, and it's been going on for longer than you realize. Already going on, already here. Let me take you back to 1987. I've been a Christian for five years, and now I'm graduating from Bible college. It was a big day for me. There was an award chapel that morning. I got an award, and uh, and the speaker was a renowned speaker in our circle of churches. Came from another state, preached his guts out that morning. Pretty good message. I walked up to him afterwards. And I said, and because that night I was graduating, and my parents were coming. My my parents, who I had no knowledge of, what that they would know jesus that they needed to hear the gospel so i i literally met the speaker afterwards and i said would you i I, if you would be so kind as you give a charge to us who are graduating would you please preach the gospel i'm telling you i'm not exaggerating he looked utterly offended that i would ask the question seriously you're asking me to preach the gospel i mean i am a preacher of the gospel afterwards I, i mean he didn't say that but that's kind of way he that's that that's what he clearly projected to me. He just looked at me. He didn't even answer my question. Standing off to the side was one of my my professors. He heard he overheard the whole conversation. That night, the place was packed, my parents, other members of my family were there. I was giddy with excitement, sitting on the floor with my cap on, ready to put you know the tassel over, get my, you know the whole 9 yards, hear the message preached. He preached and never gave the gospel. He didn't even come close. He didn't even come close to the gospel. And I I was weeping, literally weeping in my my seat. Uh, He got done, charged us, you know, go out there and live for Jesus. Lead your churches, be good pastors, be good missionaries, be good Christian workers, and never gave the gospel. Let me ask you, if that's not a departure from the truth, I don't know what is. I don't know what it is. I didn't, ask him, I didn't ask him to do something Herculean. Just give the gospel. I wasn't asking him to give an altar call. He walked off in a, you know, he, was, he, was a, he, was a, he, he really preached his guts out, but he didn't give the gospel. And my professor, who overheard that conversation that morning, quietly walked, George Houghton, walked to the microphone, and very lovingly, very sincerely, And very forthrightly, gave the gospel. And I just cried. I just cried. Thanking the Lord that that happened. Fast forward to last Sunday. Paul Davis, the president of ABWE, was with us in one of our services. My wife and I had the joy of having lunch with him afterwards. And we talked. He loved being here. Loved the baptisms. Loved the testimonies. I said, what was your highlight? He said, love the baptism, but you want me to be real honest with you? I said, of course I do. Because, you know, after all, I preached it, you know, whatever. You know what he said to me? I'll be honest. My highlight was the fact that you preached the gospel. You, you, you appealed to people to be saved. I went, what? Duh. He goes, Pat, you have no idea. I travel the country. I'm in hundreds of churches. Hundreds of churches that on paper have the gospel. They believe what we believe, and they don't preach the gospel. They're preaching. You could take half of their sermons and have them preach in a synagogue, and nobody would be offended. And I'm asking you again, what is that if it's not a departure from the truth? So-called gospel preachers and so-called gospel churches preaching so-called gospel messages. Dead people sitting under dead men preaching dead messages to dead churches. Preach the gospel. If you're watching online and you're a pastor, preach the gospel. People need to be saved. You say, well, what if I'm in a church that isn't preaching the gospel? Well, my response to you is the tribal wisdom of the Dakota Indians is in order here. The tribal wisdom of the Dakota Indians says, when you discover that you're riding a dead horse, the best strategy is to dismount. I remember Adrian Rogers preaching on this many years ago, and he said, if you're in one of those churches, you ought to fill that church with your absence. He goes, I know some of you are thinking, my grandma's buried out back. He goes, your grandma get up and leave too if she could. (laughs) (laughs) Preach the gospel. (laughs) (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) You just need to believe the gospel over there. (laughs) Secondly, look for signs. Look for the signs. Did you notice he's called the man of lawlessness? You see it? He's called the son of destruction. Both of those terms are terms of nature. It says nature. He's, a sin, he's the man of sin. He's a man of loss or destruction. He is the Antichrist, not referred to particularly here, but he's called the Antichrist in 1 John. Anti is the prefix, which means against, but it also means instead of, and that perfectly describes the Antichrist who is to come. He is against Christ, he's against the church, he's against the things of God, he's against us. But he's also the insteader. He's the one, he's the one who tries to mirror. He's instead of, he replaces that which is good and holy and right and gospelly with that which is just a click away from it. So as to look like pretty good to me, I'll go that way. And Jesus Described what described here where it says he's going to go. You see verse 4, he opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God or object of worship so that he takes his seat in the temple, which will be constructed by then, of God, proclaiming himself to be what? He's going to, he's going to, he's going to claim to be the Christ. And people will believe him. Jesus called this the abomination of desolation in Matthew 24, verse 15. And this is a description of what's going to take place. If my understanding is correct, and, 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 and you put this and you, and you composite other scripture like Revelation 13, this will take place right in the middle of the tribulation when the first half will be a false peace, the second half, all hell breaks loose. And it all breaks loose when the Antichrist goes in and sets himself up as the Christ. The coming false messiah is going to be very effective. In fact, the text says already. Look, look did you see that in verse 7? The mystery of lawlessness is already at work. There you go. We're not talking about the future anymore. We're talking about now. We're talking about right now. Right now. And some of you already been impacted, affected. You're believing. You're walking in lockstep like a spiritual lemming. toward evil. His means of deception, if you'll notice in verse 9, are the same, this is really interesting, his means of deception are the very thing the false teachers today and evangelists today are using. Miracles, signs, and wonders. You see it? Look at it. That's how he's getting, it. that's how, you know, you see people by the tens of thousands are amassing to these liars like Benny Hinn and others who are just lying to people with no gospel, and it's interesting. So we're getting set up for this now. It's all getting set up. Revelation 13 says the false prophet is going to have a helper. He's going to come along. He's going to pull out signs, fire from heaven, other signs, and people are going to go, wow, I better believe this. This guy's really cool. Look at verse 7. He who now restrains, restrains it. Restrains what? Well, the antecedent to that is the lawlessness. But if you look in verse 6, he's also, the Antichrist is still being restrained. So to restrain means to hold back. That's what it means, okay? So the, here's the point. The same source restraining Antichrist is restraining lawlessness. So whatever or whoever this source is, it, it or they, he must be incredibly powerful. Would you agree? To restrain the Antichrist, to restrain lawlessness. You say, restrain? Are you kidding? Have You looked around, Pastor Pat? Holy smokes. There's nothing being restrained. I mean, everything's off the chain. You ain't seen nothing yet. John, who preached a couple weeks ago before we we saved him from the world of... uh, Stupid joke anyway, but... He was a meter reader. That's what he did for a local uh, electric company. He he walked around yards in nearby towns, walked through yards, and uh, he had all kinds of experiences. In fact, he'd come across this one yard where there was a dog. I think he described it as half pit bull, half timber wolf. And I mean, this thing would just, and he'd just come charging at John, and then, you know, right at the end of his chain. John knew just exactly how long that chain was, walked around it. Someone, something is currently restraining, keeping evil on the chain. And I realize it's true, evil is getting worse. So I guess what I would say to you when I composite of the scripture is that look at, look at it as God is letting out more and more chain until he removes it altogether. And I, I think I can prove it, Second. Timothy 3.13, I think we have that, do we not? Second, yeah, There it is. Here, here it is. Evil people and imposters will go from bad to what? Say it. It's going to get worse. The chain's going to get let out. Deceiving and being deceived. This is why people are being deceived. It's incredibly subtle. I've already proven that to you. Where so-called gospel churches are not preaching the gospel at all. Giving barely lip service to it. It's going to get go from bad to, even in the church, to worse. By the way, Jesus asked a question. You might want to write this one down. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? That's a good question. Have you ever read that? He's asking the question. When I come back, am I even going to find this kind of faith? Do you have that kind of faith right now? Ray Steadman said, he said that the restrainer, of the restrainer, he said the spirit is not removed, okay, but merely his restraining instrument. What is this restrainer? Who is this restrainer? There's a lot of debate, theological debate. Some think it's Michael the archangel because he's involved in, you know, tamping down evil. We know Daniel 10 talks about that. I, I think that's a, that's a grasp. Some say it's the church itself. Others believe it's the Holy Spirit. In fact, I did a, I did a whole work, a working, a whole theological treatise, uh, so to speak, a paper at least, defending the fact that the restrainer in this passage has to be the Holy Spirit until my professor came back and said, isn't he, um, isn't he omnipresent? I said, oh, oh, that's right. But it's not saying he's not going to be there. It's, just, it's speaking of being taken out of the way. See the, word, the, the, the expression here? So I do think, I I actually agree with Stedman. I think it's the spirit, listen to this. I think that the restrainer is the combination between the Holy Spirit and, and the church. Okay, because what is the church? Jesus called us salt and light. Salt retards, light projects. Salt retards evil, light projects truth. That's what we're supposed to be, right? Salt and light. I think the restrainer is a combination of the Holy Spirit and the church in this world right now. Right now, the Holy Spirit-empowered church is restraining the free reign of sin and Satan. And I, I and here's an illustration. Job. Remember Job? So here's Job. Here's the guy who, I mean, we get this, we get the, the tearing back at the... Pulling back of the curtain of what goes on there—that's just amazing. In those first two chapters, you have Satan coming up, dialoguing with God over a man on earth. Remember that? God says, "Okay, yeah, you know, yeah, you can, uh, you know, take everything you want from him, but you know, don't hurt him." So he does. He does everything he can without hurting Job. Comes back a second time, skin for skin. He'll curse you to your faith, your face if you let me have at his skin. God says, you can do that, just don't kill him. What is that if it's not restraint? Now, he does it. He goes as far as he can, nearly kills him. But he doesn't kill him because he's on a leash. That's why. That's why. Why do I tell you that? I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I want you to see it anyway. I'll tell you that because... Even a church, even a wimpy church in this world is better than no church in this world. That's what I'm saying. That's hardly a, (laughs) you're probably not going to turn that in for a job description, right? (laughs) Hey, what are you? I'm not very good, but I can work. You say, well, how, how, do you, how can you say even a wimpy church in this world is better than no church in this world? Well, let me give you another Old Testament example. Remember Lot? What comes to your mind when you think of the nephew of Abraham? What do you think about him? You think of a wimp. That's what you think of, right? And yet, Peter tells us he was righteous, he was a, he was a, he was a believer. He's in Sodom, he's compromised to the hilt. You think of a worldly, self-centered man. That's what you think of, or at least you should. And yet what happens when God sends those two angels into Sodom? And what does he say? Look, I'm going to wipe this place off, but I can't do it while you're here. you got to get out. you got to go to this town over here. Can I go to this town? I don't really care. Go to that town. I can't destroy the place while you're here. Why? Because that's potential that you have if you know jesus as your savior think about this I'm, I'm telling you i'm laying it all out here in this first service i got nothing left for the next two his very presence in that city kept that city from being destroyed The presence of the Spirit of God and the church of God here on earth is still a retarding agent. At the rapture, when Jesus returns, the church will be removed, again, verse 7, taken out of the way. And then Satan will be off his chain. Remember the... Part pit bull, part timber wolf, John encountered every day or every month. So he got used to it. He walks up there one day, and yeah, whatever, all of a sudden, snap! He heard the snap. I never forget John goes. John goes, he goes, I looked at that dog and I was just going like this. Until the owner came and got him. He thought it was gonna be lunch. The very first time the word sin is even used in the Bible is when God speaks to Cain. Cain, mad, countenance down, hasn't killed his brother yet, but God says, Look, Cain, sin is crouching at your door. It's the pit bull timber wolf ready to pounce on you, and it's ready to do it for some of you right now because you're caving in. Look for the signs. There's another evil power that's going to take over. He's going to walk he's going to walk into the temple, He's going to claim to be God. The signs are clear. The chain the chain on currently restrained evil is being slowly let out. It's about to snap. The only question is, are you going to be at the receiving end when it does? Anybody here ever missed a sign on the road, huh? Driven by it? Yeah, most of us have, right? Don't miss this. Look at the signs. Look at the signs. And finally, love the truth. Love the truth. About out of time here. I don't know what the lie is that's referred to here, but if Satan is behind it, probably as old as Eden when he told Eve, you'll be like God. Jeremiah says, Oh Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man who walks to direct his own paths. Have you ever read that? But Satan was there. "Oh yes, it is. Oh oh, yes it is." You don't you don't need God. You're God. Look at verse 10. And now he's now with all these signs, the antichrist is, is going to be fooling people and with all wicked deception, watch this clearly. For all those who are perishing, the subject is those who are perishing. Okay, that's a big, that's a strong word. Apolui means to be ruined, means to be lost, means to be hellbound. And watch, because they refuse to what? Say it. Love the truth and so be saved. There it is. They're going to perish because they refused to love the truth. And so be saved. Do you remember when we began this series in 2 Thessalonians, we referred to chapter 1 and verse 8 where Paul says, when Jesus comes back, he's going to get these people who have, who have not obeyed the gospel. Remember that? I made a big deal out of that. Oh, man, that stirred up a lot of you. I got called, hey, what are you talking about obeying the gospel? That sounds kind of weird to me. I said, well, I didn't say it. God did, so deal with it. Obey the gospel because if you really believe the gospel, you'll obey the gospel. That's the idea, right? Well, the same thing is true here. When he says, he says, love the truth, that's synonymous with believing because verse 12 says, in order that they may be condemned who did not what? Believe. So, believe the truth. Loving the truth means to believe the truth. Those who believe the truth, love the truth. Do you love the truth? Because if you don't, and if you're refusing the truth, the Bible tells us that God's going to send you strong delusion. By the way, the refusal to do so will become the very reason you end up believing in the lie. God's going to, God doesn't, listen, if I understand this passage correctly, God doesn't get involved in the process of, Until you decide to say no, where some of you are right now. Like Pharaoh, who hardened his heart, God finally sealed the deal, right? So it will be for you who are destined for damnation. God will send you strong delusion, not because he doesn't love you, but because you refuse to love him. I get it. We love him because he what? That's right. Don't you ever forget that. But God doesn't get involved in this process of deluding, of causing you to wander, which is what the word means, until you refuse to love the truth. And that's what delusion means, means to wander, which is exactly what some of you are doing right now. So, sometimes in our wandering, God points us in the right direction. When I was intrigued with a miss a Mrs. Marilyn Swanson, a widow. I found where she lived. And even though the, the quicker way to where I was going was another direction, I went by her house. By her acreage. I drove in, but I was wandering because I came to a literal, literal fork in the acreage. I could go this way to a house, or I could go this way to a house. I didn't know which way to go. But I looked again, and on this way, there was a wrought iron sign in the yard with a question mark. It said, do you love Jesus? I literally was given a sign from God. I said, I think I'll go this way. And I found love. God. God. Is giving you lots of signs and this last year has just shown me how incredibly and how easily deceived even his church can become some of you aren't even a part of the church you're just here physically not spiritually because you have never really obeyed the gospel love the truth Placed your faith in Jesus. There are perilous times. Worse than now. Way worse than now. And they're coming. Repent and believe that Jesus died for you. Rose again for you. For you and believe on him. Trust him as your savior and Lord. God, thank you for your word, for this warning. May it be more than a shot across our bow. May it be a word to our hearts. For those who know you, Lord, to repent of their own personal wanderings and just stupid living and dumb believing and to truly, Lord, get their act together and walk with you in the light of your return. And for those in this room watching online who don't know you, who aren't saved, who haven't obeyed the truth, who haven't loved the truth, who haven't really believed, may this be your day right now to come to Jesus and be saved. God, we believe your son is coming soon. Help us to live like that, we ask in his name. Amen. Let's stand.